Welcome to RG One Mike. We got uh, another hot podcast for you today. Um, one of the things I want to make sure that you do is check us out on realsportsguys.com. We are, um, uh, we've launched a new site where we are trying to give you more content. Um, we are uh, going to be added. We added already two blogs. Hopefully these two gentlemen who hang with me uh, today will have a blog up there as well that you can check out so you can kind of keep up with us in that way. If you want to catch us on all the social media, uh, we're on Real Sports Guys on all social media uh, as well. Um, and uh, you can catch us on uh, Apple uh, Podcasts or you can catch us on Blog Talk Radio if you don't have uh, Apple products. All right, we're going to get right into it in the open mic. You know, uh, we got two weeks of Super Bowl and a lot of people, there's a lot to talk about. And um, we're going to get into our next podcast a little bit deeper and, and make our predictions. But what's been interesting, I think, the residual effect of the conference championships, you know, um, historically, we've always had bad calls. You know, I'm a Steeler fan, and we benefited from, you know, the immaculate reception uh, when uh, 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 Franco get the hands down or whatever. And, um, uh, you know, people still thinking about the ball, touch the ground and all this other stuff. And there's all these different things where uh, we didn't have video replay and if maybe if we had it back then, it would have corrected the call. But it's the thing that kind of gives, uh, to me, football, it's mystique and it's, it's, it's what creates the conversations uh, uh, in the bars, uh, debates, the arguments uh, that people have, you know, the tuck rule. I mean, it's crazy thing about it is two Michigan guys in that play. You got Woodson and you got Brady. And the play could have really changed the trajectory of either one of those two careers if it had gone the other way. It was really a fumble. But it, 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 it's a debate that continues to go on um, and allow for time Brady to go on this, this trajectory. And so, you know, we have obviously a missed pass interference call. I mean, I have to admit, I'm like, I don't know. Stevie Wonder saw that was pass interference. I mean, looking at a referee who's looking right at the play from – from the, the back line judge is looking right over there and probably can see the contact. It was egregious, but yet, you know, the game's over. But then we get Benjamin Watson, someone who is respected across the league, um, is someone who is um, um, seen as someone who just doesn't put things out in a way just for effect. Um, comes out and says, Roger Goodell, should say something. There should be a comment from him. And there's been a lot of debate because in the past, as much as, you know, on this show, on RSG, on our big show, on One Mike, uh, with Phil and, and, and uh, Marcus, where we probably originated this, and you hear everybody all now on ESPN talk about, but we were the first one calling him the habitual line step. You know, because Roger would come out and step on a whole bunch of stuff. And so I could understand why the players would be upset that he had nothing to say here when when he has a lot to say about a whole bunch of other stuff, Inflategate, everything else. But on this one, when it was clearly a mistake on the league side, he had nothing to say. And so it's created a whole bunch of brouhaha. So for you two gentlemen, I want to ask, and I'll start with you, Hank. Um, what is Roger to do? Here, here's what I look at, okay? when you let, Let's kind of go back to what you was talking about originally, which is, you know, some of sports – you know, greatest uh, moments we talk about all the time about, you know, made, did the ref make a call or did they change a the rule and these sort of things, okay? And I understand. Let's talk about the immaculate uh, reception for a minute, okay? 
where it was bang, bang. Did the uh, Raiders player hit the ball, you know, or did the um, Steelers player hit the ball first? Did the ball hit the ground? Okay, that's a judgment call, all right? If you are if you're talking about plays that are judgment calls that you're asking referees to make right then and there, right? Then you, you can kind of, it, it just kind of goes along. We talk about the tuck rule, for example, all right? That is a rule. Okay, it was already on the books. We may not like it, okay? And we can say that that was a fumble all day, all right? But if they've got a rule that clearly says that the man goes over the top, okay, and they, and they enforce that rule then and there, then you're kind of stuck with that. What's wrong with this one is that this is, like you said, this is egregious. This almost borderlines on being paid off, all right? That's the thing about it. This borderlines on getting paid, or you could almost say, Oh, he, he got paid off on that rule, on that thing, because that's what it looked like, okay? It was that egregious. Like you said, Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles, who did, could have seen that, all right? It was that egregious. And then on top of that, what really made it bad was it was helmet to helmet, right? It was helmet to helmet, and none of that was called. No, not, not only was it not called, it wasn't even reviewed, all right? And I think that's what Watson is saying. Roger Goodell, you know, and I've heard some of the, the, the narrative after it is that these are the teams that the NFL wanted, okay, for their Super Bowl. Okay, they wanted to have the, the, the Rams and the Patriots redo it again, okay, some years later, and all these other kind of things. But if you're Roger Goodell, you do have to come out and you do have to say we need to look at this. We need to are, – are there other measures that can be taken on the, the biggest stage, okay, with so much on the line? Okay, and you're absolutely right. If the Rams win the game, okay, it's gonna it's gonna be filled with taint. It's gonna be you shouldn't have been there in the first place. There's just no way you can say otherwise. If you are a New Orleans Saints fan, uh, you 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 won't even you can't accept this. You can't accept this. If you are if you're the opposite team's fan of any of this, you just can't accept this. But uh, and I want to just say this on a greater scale, the. NFL needs to really look at their officiating crews and what and what they need to really pay close attention to what could happen in these games with so much on the line. I thought both of those games, and I don't want to go off too much, but I thought both of those games were very poorly officiated, okay? For them supposed to have been the best of the best of the NFL officiating crews, they're supposed to be doing their championship games. I saw some very poorly uh, officiated uh, plays that you know that you see in Pop Warner, you see in high school that should have been called. And if you if you're Roger Goodell, first and foremost, do I have the best officiators officials out there for this? Because I didn't see it. Yeah, and I, I think you, you know your point is that you know this was not the best game for the NFL across both games. When you're saying their grading system helps to produce the mm -hmm. uh, crews who had the highest grades during the regular season get to do these games, and when this happens, you know in some ways you're like, okay, this is the best you got. So I understand how you you, you framing that in a way that, yeah, it was egregious. Darnell. I agree with him that both of these games are very poorly officiated games. And this um the silence of Roger Goodell really points at the hypocrisy of Roger Goodell. Because you see, um you see that um after the game, they issued a public fine. They they issued a fine to um um the DB, I forgot, I don't know his name, but the guy that um committed to pass interference. They um they issued a fine to him. But my view is they should find every single referee that was on the field right then, they should be fined. 
And if, yes. they, if they say, okay, we find them under the table, no, you should find them publicly just like you find the players publicly. Like, um, I think they protect the referees too much. Like, the referees should have to be accountable for um, their actions. And not only this play, but um, Tom Brady, he threw, he threw three picks. He threw a touchdown and three picks. So the last pick that should have ended the game was the um, D Ford offside penalty, right? He, um, he lined up in the neutral zone. But what people don't bring up is he was lined across. He was lined up across a tackle that was a good two yards off the ball. So he's looking at the guy and he's saying, "Well, I'm judging um, the distance between me and the guy in front of me. But the guy in front of me, he's two yard. He's like a yard and a half, two yards off the ball. So it should be a legal formation, and the penalty should offset. But um, they don't. So some things you just don't catch, but." Well, that was great analysis, man. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you you added a whole nother the, – the idea – because it was funny when you looked at the picture, and, I mean, for you to catch that, and nobody's been talking about that, that, as you know, yeah, when you're a defensive lineman, you're taught to line up a certain way and position on alignment so much far off the ball. And you, you, get, you get – it's an instinct. You know about how far you're supposed to be from that lineman. But he was actually farther back because he was worried about him. Uh, in terms of his speed, so yeah, he, he was probably yeah. That that should have been a legal formation because if you look at it, he was um, in some ways he was in the backfield. He was not lined up where he was off the line, and so that part of it is one that people haven't even talked about. You know, they just been talking about the fact that uh, that he was lined up, um, he was lined up in the in uh, in the neutral zone, but the fact that he was lining up on a lineman that was probably too far off the ball himself. That could have been an easily illegal formation. That is a great point. And this is, you know, part of this, the, you know, where I think it becomes a worry, um, particularly for Rams fans, is, first of all, they did not make the call. You know, they weren't responsible for making the call or not making the call. But if they go on to win the Super Bowl, is that something that people feel is tainted? Is that something that people feel is um, – you know, people fall in love with McFay, you know, the whole thing about they used to have an NBA about, you know, the, the conspiracies about drafts and about playoffs in terms of wanting to have, you know, continue to have magic and bird uh, face each other and all the calls and all that stuff that starts to seep into football in a way that it really hasn't uh, seeped yeah. into it. So, it, it, you know, this is going to brew for a while. You know, we got Pro Bowl weekend. You know, we get back into it next week. We'll get, we'll get real deep into this topic. But those are two great observations y'all made. Let's switch gears a little bit. You know, as an NBA player, when you're a superstar, there are a couple things that you try to have on your belt when you want to be a superstar and recognize as a legend. And one of those things is having a performance in Madison Square Garden. Like, that is, like, the signature moment for every superstar. You know, where, you know, double nickel, I think Michael got. You know, you know, Kobe went in there and did his thing. LeBron's had his moment. You know, I think um, Durant's had his moment. Like, to be – like, that's your signature moment. And everybody – the crazy thing about it, they do it against – you know, when Jordan did it, he did it against a playoff-ready Nick team. You know, <laughs> he did it against Charles Oakley and people who put you in the front row. Some of these other guys are doing it against Benny and the Jets. But nonetheless, <laughs> it is the guard. And uh, James Harden came in and did his thing. The crazy thing about it is uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. shot. The shot he hit and then hit him and patted him on the butt on the way back was hilarious. Harden has been clowning. Harden has been – and I've had mixed reviews. You know, I've, I've been the guy who was 
I've been on Sam Presti because I thought, you know, people give him a lot of credit, but he chose Ibaka over Harden. And I would thought he was crazy. So I've been on Harden, and I was happy to see him be successful. I've been watching Harden since he was at Arizona State. Knew he has some ability. I've loved the fact that he's, he's flourished. He's the only one to escape the Kardashian curse. I mean, he has so many accolades on his belt right now. The beer kind of sometimes throws me off. The dress sometimes throws me off, even though he was a little bit more conservative uh, in, his, in, his, in his dress when he went to the Garden. But he's put some incredible numbers, you know, uh, have MVP. Um, but he hasn't had that signature playoff moment. And I think in some ways I try to wonder, like, when I watch him in this regular season and we, you know, we watched D'Antoni's system. And even though Harden was still good before he came, you know, he creates a system where this guy scored all these points. And I think, what, maybe, maybe one or two of them were assisted. Like, like that's straight. That's like that's like playing the CCRB in Ann Arbor, Michigan, with a, with my cousin John, who's gonna shoot every shot down the court. <laughs> <laughs> he might see this. You know, There's some unassisted baskets. Everybody else is just standing around with their hands up like this, waiting for the shot, and they get nothing. What do you make of this? Is he the paper champion? I'm gonna go to the young and Darnell because we kind of talk about this all. Like, no like way. is is no this just fluff? How is it fluff? Give uh, give you give, give your um synopsis of how this would be a fluff um MVP like. No, I'm asking you a question. Like, why would you think it would be a, a fluff MVP? I, I don't know how to say it's fluff. You you asking the question about fluff? Yeah, because this it's not it's not fluff. Um, his team Can you explain why it's is not fluff? very thin. His team is very thin right now. He has he's playing with G League players. They brought Kenneth Reed back from the dead. Like, they have the coach's son, um, um, Austin Rivers, the only other ball handler on the team. Like, he has to do this. Like, um, Eric Gordon's out. Chris Paul's out. Clint Capella's out. They're, when um, Chris Paul went down, the Rockets were out of the playoffs. He has to do this to win games. So, like, he's putting the team on his back. He won the MVP last year, so – Either way, so either way, he's the reigning MVP right now. So you you saying he's doing what he's supposed to do in the regular season, even though he hasn't done what he's supposed to do in the postseason? You okay with that? Well, when you when you were working with the kind of load that he's working with, sometimes it'll wear you down in the postseason. Like you look at um, even like LeBron, even like LeBron James, Allen Iverson, when they were when, when they were faced with this task. Like Iverson in 01, obviously, LeBron James in 06, obviously. When they um when they were like they didn't have another other people around them that could that they could just give the ball to when they can get a bucket. So they have to carry their they have to carry the load. And LeBron, of course, again in 2015, when Kyrie and Kevin Love went down. But um you get tired. You you can't um you can't um go down there every possession and score against NBA players all day because you're going to get tired. And that's just the more games you play, the more fatigue is added uh, onto your knees and your body. So part of it is, you know, will he, will he burn out? I mean, he's, he seems to be right. returning. Um, and um, I, I think you might've hit a good point on it. Hank, how do you, what do you think? I mean, you, you and I've talked about Harden in the past. Yeah. yeah. This is amazing. But, I mean, he, he shot, what, five for 17 from the three-point line or something like that. It was, you know, that's a lot of shooting. That's not efficient. It's, it's, it's not efficient. The thing about um, 
about James Harden is when he's on, he's 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 deadly, and when he's not on, he's gonna keep shooting anyway. Um, but the thing about it is, and and Darnell is right, he has to do that right now, okay? With with Chris Paul, who you talk about, you talk about a paper player. That there it is right there. He gets hurt every time when when it seems like when the the pressure is on. But that's another show for another day. Uh, so you but, know that's not going right there. I'm telling you right. I know it, it might be, and when he's healthy, he's good. But you know, it's shots like, it's, across, shots taken. Look, 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 look. <laughs> but it's like the little girl with the curl. When he's good, he's very, very good. But when he's bad, he's hurt. So what I'm saying is, you can keep throwing the basketball. So, so, but these views are. Are that of RSG? <laughs> listen, listen. My point is this: with James Harden, getting back to the point. Oh. Yeah, this this guy, he has to do this, and there's nothing paper nor fluff about his MVP. Okay, he makes the Houston Rockets relevant. Okay, and oh by the way, and and, and if there's anything to to support my argument, youngin, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt last year, we're not talking about the Golden State Warriors as 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 uh as champions, as back to back champions. We're not talking about that, okay? Because Houston had their number. All right. Let's go back to that Western Conference Finals, folks. Houston had their number, y'all know that. Okay? Mm-hmm. And when your boy got hurt and he didn't have that other level of help, all of a sudden this super team was able to flex their muscle a little bit. I'm talking about the Warriors and take out the Rockets. But the Rockets had their number and the Rockets was going to the finals. Okay. And we was about to, like you start talking about something that happens down there, Devon, that changes a narrative. That changed the narrative. Okay. Because now you're talking about Chris, now you're talking about James Harden as the next great mega superstar. Okay. Because I'm telling you that Rockets team would have beat Cleveland, and now we're, now you now you really got a conversation. So, so no, he is doing what he's supposed to do. What you hope for is before he does wear out. Getting back to Darnell's point, before he does wear out, that they make some sort of move, okay, before the trade deadline to help get him something to be able to to get this over the top for that for that team because they were that close. They were an injury away from making it to the finals last year. And I'm going to see an injury away from uh, 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 NBA championship. So, no, there's nothing paper about the, about the – he's doing what he's supposed to do. You could say that you may not like his methods or he's going to keep you – but right now, who's your second or third option? You don't have one. It, it works for, the, uh, for LeBron James in Cleveland. It's got to work for James Harden here. And the funniest line so far in that segment was uh, he brought Kenneth Fareed back from the dead. <laughs> he had like 21 – he had 21 points. What do you have, like 11, 15 rebounds, something like that last night? I mean, something like, I'm like – I'm like, we haven't seen that since, what, his Denver days? Like, that's young Kenneth numbers. Yeah, you know, Kenneth right? Reeves was, was on the um, the FIBA Olympic team and just disappeared. That's right. Went, went into the witness protection program. I mean, when I saw him, <laughs> I was like, he's still alive? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, what's going on out here? We didn't put this on a rundown because you just mentioned it, Hank. Boogie came back mm-hmm. and, and, and talking about, and, and I've heard people saying like, I heard a couple of people saying Houston with a healthy Chris Paul still might be the team that can really challenge them, especially if they make a, if Kenneth Fareed plays, they make a trade where they start to add some more to me. I think they need to add another wing. You know, if they, this is where they need Trevor Reza. Um, mm-hmm. If they had Trevor on this team, it would, that would add a whole nother piece to it. Uh, but Boogie, and I thought he would, Boogie's looking good. Even if mm-hmm. you got a small sample. But I said this before. 
the Golden State Warriors were saying this was a one-year deal. And I know there's some people they want to keep. But I said, if Boogie fit, they're going to rethink that. And he just – everybody talked about could he play the style. He just looks comfortable in his style. What, what's your opinion on – I don't know if you had a chance to watch him play. Uh, but what's, what's, your, what's your opinion? Oh, okay. I just knocked up. Down goes Frazier. I got excited. I got, hey, I got hey. excited with the question. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he got, he got, he got <laughs> the office linebacker right there, didn't he? <laughs> I, I got excited and like knocked it all down. But we're going to keep that. We're going to keep that in the edits because we're yeah. original. We're the real sport guy. Things like that happen when you got a small studio. But what mm -hmm. what what is it? What do you think about those first this little sample that we have of Boogie? I like what I saw. I, I'm not surprised. I think that for a lot of us, we were wondering what his conditioning was going to be like, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but from what we saw, and, and again, coming off an Achilles injury, um, that's that that can sometimes be um, career ending. Okay, depending upon what what your off season workouts are like. So mm -hmm. the fact that he is coming out and looking the way he's looking right now is dangerous. He's going to have fresh legs, okay? He's, he's still got, in my opinion, to get – he looked good, like I said, for the small sample size, but he's still got to get into some degree of basketball shape. Yeah. Which does not fare well for the rest of the league. I mean, he's okay? knocking down threes. Because he's knocking down threes. He's, he's trying to he's, – he's finding his niche there. Yeah. Um, and, and who are you going to guard? No. Okay? If they stay healthy, who are you going to yeah. – who, who are you going to guard? Yeah. Okay, he's gives them some more size, some more size in the front line. It's 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 uh it's it was a, I think it was well worth the risk for the for the for the Warriors to do this. Okay, and the strong the rich just got richer. All right, so this this is this is one again. If you're the Rockets, you've got to make a move. You know, right now it might be it, it might be too little, too late, but you got to do something. In my opinion, you got to do something uh, bold to help James Harden with this because he cannot play 48 minutes in the playoffs. Yeah. And I was, I was going to, I mean, I saw Bob Myers out in Maui and I was going to ask him about, you know, what if, if Boogie comes back, you know, strong, I mean, do you have to rethink that this idea of this one year contract? And, um, you know, and that's I one thing that he had so many other people around him, but um, you know, I, I had a feeling he was going to look like this and I'm telling you, if he continues to play like this, the Golden State fans, they're going to be some like, you know, we want Boogie cheers. Watch. You're going to hear that. But you can't – how are you, you going to pay him? I, I, I think that you have to – if he, especially if he clowns, and especially yeah. if he does what they, what they hope that he does and really gets yeah. off in the playoffs, how are you going to pay him? I mean – Well, it I mean, depends on the, whether or not – the question is whether or not KD stays. And if KD goes, now you have the money to pay him. Yeah, but you're, not, you know, you're and, obviously not the same team anymore if KD yeah. leaves. So. Yeah. You know, and, and if KD decides, you know – he might have a restructured deal that if he, you know, Boogie makes him healthier. But you never know. There's a lot of season, but they got to be thinking about it. You know, they've been saying all this stuff publicly, but they got to be thinking about it. Darnell, what, what's your opinion on that? Well, to be honest with you, the first game Boogie scared me. I saw Boogie run down the court, and it looked like he had Timberlands on. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um... He, Boogie is always going to be a skilled player because the skill is not going to leave you. So, like, um, when you're watching the Warriors now, Boogie is like Andrew Bogut on steroids. Like, um, he's yeah. going to do the same thing. He can pass the ball in the high post. The Warriors, all he fits perfectly in the system offensively because yeah. uh, the players, Steph Clay, Iggy when he's in the game, Draymond when he's in the game, they're going to be cutting, moving around, 
And Boogie is a very underrated passer. He's one of the best right. man passers in the league. He also can shoot the three, which Andrew Bogut couldn't do. But um, he can he fits that role very nicely. But defensively, this is where the gift and the curse comes in. Everybody knows the Warriors are a big switching team. They um they value they value switchability a lot. So like on the pick and rolls, they want to switch the pick between the five and the one, five two, like all the way around. Yeah. But um, with Boogie, that's not going to work very well because um if you watch Boogie in the past and even now and especially now after the injury. He, he, he doesn't want to stay on the outside, move, slump, moving his feet with, the, with these guards like Kyrie in the playoffs, Harden in the playoffs. That's not going to happen. What Boogie wants to do is he wants to drop back like the old centers used to do, like Tim Duncan and all of them, like mm-hmm. the Spurs do even now. Um, so I, I, it's interesting to see um, how the Warriors' defense changes with Boogie in the lineup. Great points. And, hey, guys, thanks for adjusting with me. You get both of you. Uh, we're credible. That's the audible. That's how we do it here on RG One Mic. Look, still, it's straight, straight, thorough, even when we audible. Hey, this is, this next topic is gonna go. Is, this this is gonna warm Hank's heart because you know, it's been a while since we and we gotta get him back in the studio and get this inside the park on it. But they announced the Hall of Fame. the The storyline is Rivera is still perfect. Like <laughs> Mario Rivera was the we got unanimous votes. You know, a lot of debate around why it took to get him, especially the fact that he's a Yankee. But, you know, he, what people know about him personally, what he does in terms of, in terms of his philanthropic efforts, everything else. I mean, he's a great human being. He was, um, you know, an elite performer. Uh, but, you know, so, so was Cal Ripken. And Cal Ripken didn't get unanimous votes. So that's part of the story. And the other part that always comes around this time is Barry Bonds still snubbed. And, the, the crazy thing about that is that no one debates Barry's first eight, nine years. You know, even when you sit the timeline for all the stuff with Balco and everything else, it fits into that first eight, nine years. He was a three-year silver slugger with eight golden gloves, stuff like that. You know, he, MVPs. He had, uh, I mean, the, his, his eight years compares against anyone in history um, in a way that some of the other people, even Clemens, who people suspect throughout his career, may have been doing it, or even someone like Alex Rodriguez, what people suspect throughout his career, people are pretty unanimous on the timeline of Bonds' issues. And in that period of which those eight years that he was with the Pirates and maybe that first year or so with uh, San Francisco, those are Hall of Fame years when you just look at those numbers. And so we're here again. So first of all, maybe, uh, Hank, since you are inside the party, maybe hit, first of all, like, the, per- the perfect unanimous kind of thing with Mariano and what he meant to baseball and kind of your, the whole debate around, you know, um, you know, whether or not this, it should have taken this long for that. And then maybe touch on bonds a little bit. Well, see, the thing is about Mariano Rivera, there's always that one player in baseball or in any sport that, you know, is, is so consequential. Okay. They, 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 they're, they're what they've done in the sport really kind of changed the sport, okay? And while you did have some great relievers before Mariano Rivera, he transcended the position, okay? And, oh, by the way, he did it on the greatest stage in sports and in one of the most storied franchises with the New York Yankees, okay? He was absolutely, when they say perfect, he didn't give up any earned runs when he came on, okay? In fact, the time where he gave, finally gave up an earned run in a, in a play or blown save, should I say, 
uh, in the playoff game was against the Arizona Diamondbacks in that in that fabled uh, World Series in 2002, 9-11 year. Um, and the thing is about that was there was there was a play that should have been made by the infield, all right, uh, which wasn't. They didn't hit the ball off of him. There was it was a uh, uh, a weak uh, base hit through the middle that got between the in, the two infielders, and the Arizona Diamondbacks win one of the most uh, what I would call exciting World Series you ever want to see, uh, the year of nine eleven two thousand and one. But what I'm saying is, um, so Mariano Rivera has always been a very clutch um, uh, reliever anyway in the playoffs, okay? Just just money. What made it so that he became um, a unanimous vote? And because you got to remember, this is the Baseball Writers of America, okay? It's Hall of Fame, who votes on the Hall of Fame. And so you have to understand that it is also a popularity con a contest. You spoke about his philanthropic work. You talk about where he became a good guy to the writers and to the media, shortly, especially towards the end of his career, okay? Where he was all business, he was all steel, stone face. but when they really got to know who Mariano Rivera was as a person, very likable guy. Plus, he came in there with that big four of him and Jorge Posada and Derek Jeter and that group uh, and, and Paul O'Neill, okay? And all those guys, you know, became like that core of Yankees. All right. So it's not surprising the minute he gets an opportunity and is now eligible. All right. that He's a unanimous choice. So I'm not so surprised about that. But like I said, because it is the baseball writers of America and you got to kind of schmooze with some of those guys and everything. I'm not surprised that he would be a unanimous choice over a Cal Ripken who let's let's face it. OK. Uh, Cal Ripken, they call him. He's the Iron Man. OK. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he, he's a Hall of Famer. But the thing is about it was as good as Cal was, as good as Cal is, and, and his numbers and everything, um, and winning a championship. Again, Cal could be kind of edgy sometimes with these writers, okay? I'm, and I'm, I'm not going I'm not going to bore our, 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 our listeners with a whole bunch of stats. Y'all know the stats. Y'all can go see what the stats are. They're Hall of Famers. But the fact is, when you're talking about getting into the Hall of Fame, this is one of the reasons why um, – the, the votes go unanimous because everybody wants to think about Mariano Rivera. Is, then everybody else, some guys want to be smarter than anybody else and, and pick somebody who think they should at least get a vote, get another shot. Now let's get back. Now let's go to the to the Barry Bonds piece real fast and and um, the, the whole steroid era group. It is what it is with that group. A lot of these guys are going to have to unfortunately die or not or retire from the baseball writers for these guys to really just let their numbers speak for themselves. You're absolutely right, Barry Bonds was, uh, you know, he was a dominant player before the whole steroid piece. What turned Barry Bonds is he was a 5-2 player who became a home run hitter, a slugger, okay? Now he went from hitting over 300, you know, having 30, 40 home runs a year, stealing so many bases, had an incredible arm, it was, a, was, a, was a gold glove player. Now all of a sudden, um, he's um, what? Now all of a sudden he's a home run hitter, now he's a slugger. Okay, now he's hitting 60, 50, 60 home runs a year. It, 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 it stunk, and people saw it. Um, and he was, he was a, frankly, he was an ass to, 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 to the sports writer. He was very arrogant. He was very nasty, and they couldn't stand him, all right? And some folks said he was a bad uh, teammate because he knew he was good, all right? Um, but he, and he tried to 
calmed that down a little bit when he went to San Francisco. But the problem was the damage was already done. Okay. There, if you want to go look in, in, in YouTube, there's a famous uh, um, video of him and Jim Leland getting into it. Jim Leland's told him, you know, you get the F off the field. You know, this is my team. I run it the way I want to run it. Okay. So that's the Barry Bonds piece. It's going to take a long time. Barry Bonds is going to be on his last year of eligibility. Before, calm down there, bro, brother, little brother. We'll be all right. We'll be all right. Come on now. I'm not, try, I'm not trying to stagger you now. Come on, relax, relax. But it's going to take, but I'm going to say this, it's going to take some time for the steroid era to be seen and for any of those players to truly get in, the great ones, because everybody was, was uh, assumed to be juicing. I don't like it because baseball allowed it, and I've been saying that for, for uh, many, many a time, years, many times. Baseball allowed it. They should be allowed to, to, to do it, but it's going to take some minute. It's going to take a minute, especially with Bonds, because, again, he wasn't a likable character anyway. And it saved baseball. People knew it. So, yes. in some ways, the uh, league office was complicit, but now you're going to keep these same people out. Exactly. Who complicit who, who, who fed your pockets. Darnell. Well, the Baseball Hall of Fame – I'll put it, Frank. The Baseball Hall of Fame is a joke. These <laughs> three, three out of the four best players – up to be um up for vote uh, up to be voted into the Hall of Fame did not get in, but um of course the steroid the steroid era is um the biggest reason why. But if you look in the past, there are guys in the Hall of Fame that have cheated. Babe Ruth um once test he um injected himself with um testosterone. Um Gaylord Perry was famous for um throwing spitballs. There are other guys in the Hall of Fame that have cheated, and um. That's that's what I think about that part. And Mariano Rivera, him going in, um, being a unanimous selection, he better have been. Like who? Like honestly, if you didn't vote for if you didn't vote for uh, Mariano Rivera to be in the Hall of Fame, they should take you to Gleason's gym and you should have to spar every single you should have to spar every single person in Brooklyn for two rounds. Like <laughs> that's just ridiculous. If you won't vote for him, like. I'm, I'm, I just need to, we need to go back in history. Who didn't vote for Cal Ripken for Cal Ripken to be to be a Hall of Famer? Who didn't <laughs> vote for Willie Mays to be a Hall of Famer? Right. Who right. like Ken Griffey Jr., Ricky Henderson? Like, look at all the players in the history. Who let me let me let me let me help let me help you with that a little bit. So you get some of these writers. <laughs> see, I, I I and I like the what way you're thinking, but see, let me tell you how some of these pompous baseball writers think and you're right they make the hall of fame a joke because what they say is well you know uh so and so is going to get enough votes to get in so i don't want to vote for him so i'm going to go over here and vote for darnell kirkland so i can get the conversation going and they do stuff like that okay and it's like wait a minute so and so got two votes who voted for him okay and the same thing is because a lot of them want to be popular, so I don't want to be smart, but they want to go and vote for a player that they liked, and they can take their votes because they vote every year, and they assume somebody's going to get enough votes, so I don't have to vote for Cal Ripken. I can go vote for one of my favorite players who's now up uh, for Hall of Fame voting so that they can be eligible for a few more years and maybe they can get some votes. They think about that. They, they, they got this elitist attitude, right? You should vote for the best players based upon their numbers, based upon what they've done in the league, and that sort of thing, okay? But they want to sit here and use the Hall of Fame as punishment for players that absolutely save the sport. I got a problem with that, okay? Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, um, Rafael Palmero, 
all these guys, listen, they'll tell you they had brokers going through locker rooms and, and shooting up guys in the locker room. And baseball uh, front office people turned a blind eye to it, all right? And it saved baseball because it was right after the strike. It was right after the World Series got canceled. Yep. So, I mean, like I said, that's a whole nother show for a whole nother day. It fires me up. But I'm going to tell you right now, you're absolutely right. That's what makes this a joke. Me and RJ and Mike talked about that, too. It's the Baseball Writers Association, okay? So a bunch of old guys sitting around waxing nostalgic, and they do this sort of thing. So it, And it's moving from the baseball writers now to the players. Now, is that happening here in the next round? or I'm, I'm, I would guess it would be in the next round. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I promise you that if you start adding some players to that, to that voting, You'll get your Bonsons, you'll get your Clemens in there. Because I'm going to tell you, you got other guys that play with those cats, okay? And they will say that if they weren't on that team doing what they're doing, we don't have the successes that we had, all right? Especially if you're a Roger Clemens, okay? And, they, and those Yankee teams and stuff like that. So we'll see. I think you're going to start seeing a, a change that makes a little bit more sense. And you're going to see some names, too that you ain't even thought about no more. These guys just become an afterthought because they didn't play in New York or they didn't play out West. Well, we got a lot of baseball stuff that, that we'll, we'll, we'll hit on. I mean, we didn't even talk about Kurt Schilling. And, I mean, he's another one who got robbed. You know, yep. when you talk about just big-time performances. Have nothing, you know, the, the political piece coming in. And I don't, have, I don't share the political views of Kurt Schilling, but when it looks like him as a baseball player, he's someone who I'm saying is the first ballot Hall of Famer by mm -hmm. In big games, you just talked about the the one game Mariana lost. Kurt Schilling was big in that series, and Randy uh, and, Johnson, and yeah. Randy Johnson. So uh, we we will talk about that for the cipher today. Um, one of the things uh, the theme of the cipher is fight the power. We got to fight the power. Would that be? We we've seen a lot of the um, uh, innovation and players taking their rights in basketball things that lebron has been doing the way that they um really organize around free agency some of the things that you know the more than athlete kinds of themes that's running basketball the way in which they've been those basketball players have been really owning and the league has been supporting but to see someone like rashawn gary in a in a sport where you are taught to toe the line for the first time you play it because part of a culture where you don't step out and do the individualism uh, aspect of it. Um, to have someone like him start his own agency, <laughs> even before he gets drafted, and he already has a player, uh, defensive back from Bowling Green, part of his agency, understanding, and he understands the math that, and he's hired already a certified agent to work in his agency. His mother is the president and CEO. Michigan educated. I have to give him something. Something came out of him uh, with that. Um, uh, when you heard about this, you know, both of y'all right there near Ann Arbor, everything, else, you know, um, what did that, is he creating a formula for, for future football players in terms of in an era where they, um, uh, particularly first rounders, you know, because I think beyond that, I don't think you have as much leverage. But in an era where they don't have a lot of guaranteed money, but he's trying to already think about his future even before he gets drafted. Uh, Darnell, let me go with you first, and I'll come back to Hank to finish. Well, I hope it. I really hope it does set a precedent for the new players coming in because we've seen it. We've seen it in other sports. Like um, I know LeBron is not necessarily the leader of LRMR, 
but he is definitely involved. But um, but um, and but especially boxing, of course, boxing is the big sport. We have Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy Promotions. You have Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather Promotions. You have Devin Haney coming up. He has his own promotional deal where he's um he's um working his way, negotiating contracts and stuff like that. You have Errol Spence as well. So, but um, going back to football, this is the first time I've seen a college player have become his own agent and be um working on negotiating him for himself. But um, as far as players in the NFL, we've seen Richard Sherman when um mm-hmm. Seattle let him go. He um negotiated his own deal, and um he um decided on signing with the Forty ers but um, I hope this is a um, a new trend for the new players, so everybody can not everybody, but the people that can, hopefully um, try to decide what's best for their future. And one thing I hope this um, is I hope that these new generations of players that are thinking this way are um, influential in the CBA, the new CBA agreement that's going to happen, that's because right. the whole idea of like a franchise tag and that kind of thing. It's kind of ridiculous. I want to hand it off to Hank. All right. Here's where um, I think it's it's very ambitious and and uh, of, of Rashawn Gary. But you have to look at Rashawn Gary, and you got to look at the makeup of that whole young that young man as a whole, and even and venturing out to do this. See, when he this you got to go back to when he was being recruited by Michigan. That this wasn't necessarily with his mother. This just this was not about football. Okay, this was never always about football. Okay, Uh, this was about this young man getting a a quality education for after football while he was still playing. All right. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he would try to venture out with with his mother and with his support group to try to be his own boss. That was the whole idea in the first place. And what he is doing is setting himself up in the event that he doesn't play a down for anybody. All right. So this is so, but so to, so when you're talking about, you used uh, uh, boxing as an example. Well, those guys are their own corporations, all right. So if you're Oscar De La Hoya, if you're Floyd Mayweather, you know I'm going in here, I'm doing all. I'm not playing for no team. So if mm-hmm. I don't want to take this deal, I don't take this deal. You don't get no fight. Forget you, okay. Versus in the NFL, if you don't play, then you do just like uh, Le'Veon did sit out the whole season and hope something else happens. So I think it makes a lot of sense for him in, in regards to trying to out, you know, try to solicit other players to, to join his group and, and, and to represent them in that way or whatever. But, but, but you have to have an education piece to do that. The only other thing about it is, as you stated, you know, it, it's a, it, and why it's so rare in football is because that's CBA. Okay. That CBA is bump. You don't have a whole lot of NFL players that can set set themselves above the franchise like a LeBron James or like the NBA or like anybody else. Okay. So if you, and and then the fact is he's not a quarterback, he's not a running back. He's a D lineman. Right. So he can't really set himself apart to really where that, that franchise is going to benefit him from that much. Okay. Because of that CBA. But again, he's setting himself a path to take care of himself. If he don't play it down. All right. I have a question. So for, um, I noticed when you said um, Rashan Gary, he has uh, he already has another player signed to his um, agency. I just, I just want to know if that is that legal. Like, um, 
if that would that be like a conflict of interest? Like if a player was a free agent or so, would that be like tampering if um the player of an, if another player from like another team chose to join um the, the team of uh, the the agent like um Rashawn Gary? I would well, think I, that. Go ahead. Okay. I think because um the person who is doing the deal is a certified agent who is not Rashawn Gary and right. The, Principal person who has the legal responsibility is his mother. So it's similar to Le- LeBron James. He's an investor with, uh, with in sports, yeah. but uh, he's not the principal figure in making those decisions. And and in some ways, he's an investor. And um, I think um, there there isn't a conflict of interest uh, in that point. Yeah, I, I was about to echo that same point. It's just you know that he's a figurehead to that to that business. Okay. But as far as the, the nuts and bolts of actually negotiating for individual players, that he, he couldn't have, you know, any sort of influence there. You're absolutely right. If that were the case, he would be tampering. And then for him to be an agent, he can't be an active player. What's interesting about his model, though, I think his model is the agent doesn't get 10%. There's a set salary um, in the model, which to me, again, I mean, he, I think he got like a certificate or a minor in, biz, you know, in business school at Michigan, which is one of the top in the country. So, I mean, he's... I would be surprised if this wasn't like a project he worked on in class where he was working with someone on, on the model and he's starting to implement it. Uh, you know, that's what kids do all the time. They, they use these projects in class to kind of be a model when they're able to access the faculty and people who can share that. I would be surprised if someone from Michigan or, you know, faculty member, someone who is, is advising him on how to do this. Um, you know, he's a smart kid uh, and put it together, but, um, the person who's certified, I think, with the NFL would be the agent, but they probably have set the salary up. And so some ways, they've kind of taken pressure off being an agent. They probably have gotten the salary to a certain, you know, you do the analysis of what you would make, get into that ballpark, and it's not the pressure of just securing talent, but let's do it the right way mm-hmm. and put money. So he, his, it's going to be interesting how his business model, and, and this is where I call the LeBron influence. I would say, you know, we don't know what the influence of LeBron James is going to be for another 30 years. It's clear that these kids are watching what he and his crew have been doing and they're taking elements. It's, it's the way in which you have this cross fertilization between sports. So uh, I'm loving it. We're going to keep watching this. Um, and this is the reason why we put it in the cipher because this speaks to, you know, a lot of what at our heart is about this, the rights of athletes, the empowerment of athletes. And here's one example of someone at an amazing age, particularly in a sport where, Kids are reluctant to step out because of what they see happen to Kaepernick and others who have tried to buck the system. Um, they're going up against a powerful entity. So we're going to continue to watch this and kind of see how he evolves and, and update y'all as we, as we learn more. Well, you know how we do this, man. We, we, this has been a great show. Gentlemen, you've been on fire uh, uh, today. You know, this, this seems like a good time for us. And we, we got to think about this. We've been on fire. Uh, but, you know, we can't end the show without, you know, uh, let my man Hank, the elder of the group, drop the mic. Thank you, gentlemen. And, now, you know, I got I to gotta put on my, my, my elder glasses right up here when we do this. Listen to me. I want to talk to you. We got the youngster here, okay, on the show with us. And uh, we sit around here and we talk about sports all the time. But the one thing I really want to go back to, is the love of the game, okay? Once upon a time, when we were, when I was a kid, you'd get out with a bunch of kids and you'd go to the hoop court, you'd go out to the basketball, or go out to the football field or just an empty field, or you'd go out 
to the baseball diamond and you would take whatever you had and you just go play. Why? For the love of the game. All right. You would go and find your boys and you would play dark till dark. Why? For the love of the game. All right. I want to talk a little bit about the love of the game. All right. We just got through talking about Rashawn Gary and his uh, group trying to be, become agents. We saw we're going back to these players that uh, um, skip bowl games. Today, the senior bowl is going to be played, okay? And a lot of these young men are trying to sit up here and get into the NFL, all right? They're trying to get their first contract. But I want to say one thing, that there's only one reason, one reason alone why they're out there doing that, and it's because what? The love of the game. I think sometimes we get, we get so mixed up in the contracts and then trying to play for the next contract and skipping stuff that we forget about the love of the game. We don't sit around here and talk about sports because we're looking for our next contract. We don't sit around here early on a the, on the, on the Saturday morning and got to hurry up and leave and go watch games. Why? Why we do all that kind of stuff? For one reason, one reason alone. The love of the game. The love of the game. I want you to understand right there. You can, you can, you can make a dollar anywhere, okay? You can, you can, you can the, the government workers, they thought they had a great job, but they ain't got paid all year long. You can make a dollar. Okay, but there's only so much time that you have for passion, that you have for something that you absolutely can't wait to get to. All right. And that is and that is why we will be here all year long for one reason and one reason alone. The love of the game.